Today's interview and jam with the incredible Steve Lukather is brought to you by Audio-Technica and their stellar E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones. It's the way to go now, folks. You got to put the monitors in your skull. Just amazing. The E70 features three balanced armature drivers in each ear. That's the flagship at $399. Wow. What incredible sound presentation in your skull. Or if you want to drop down to just under $200, grab the ATH-E50. The E50 has a single balanced armature driver in each ear, but is still a very popular choice with professionals and rock stars. And it features specially designed housings that provide excellent isolation, ensuring confident, comfortable stage performance. The ideal choice for the producer on the road or the gigging musician. Or just get in the game with the ATH-E40. E40 puts a dual-phase push-pull driver in each of your ears. Great in-ear monitoring headphones to get started with. You can win one of these three pairs by entering your name and contact information at guitarplayer.com slash contest slash Luke. Thank you, Audio-Technica, for giving this killer prize and for bringing us this killer guitar player, Steve Lukather, one of my heroes. What is up, everybody? It's 2018. How did that happen? Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to episode 64 of No Guitar is Safe. My name is Jude Gold, and I'm very thankful to Audio-Technica for bringing one of my heroes onto this show, Steve Lukather. This song is called Alone. It's from Toto's new album. The album is called 40 Trips Around the Sun. It comes out in February. This is one of the singles. 40 Trips Around the Sun, of course, represents 40 years of Toto. These guys are killing it. In 2018, they've already sold 40 million records, and that's just the records of their own band, Toto. Of course, if you know the history of the band, you know they got their start as studio aces back in the late 70s with, like, Boss Gags and Randy Newman. Then they formed their own band when Lukather was 19. He played this amazing song. Insane tone, right? Love me some Luther. I've become such a fan of his over the years. But I gotta say, I didn't know all about him when I first saw him on the cover of Guitar Player Magazine in the 80s. I was just a teenager at the time. I knew that he was an insane badass because he was on the cover, and there's no badge of badassery greater than being on the cover of Guitar Player Magazine. But I mostly knew them for their singles on the radio, like Rosanna. love pop music, but I still didn't know all about Luke at that time. Well, you know, I gotta admit, we were coming up and we were, you know, coming up around the local scene, whatever, playing guitar as teenagers and playing in clubs, and every concert that me and my buddies would go to would be like a guitar band like Stevie Ray Vaughan or ACDC or Pat Metheny or Van Halen or Steve Morse. I had my guitar buddy, Adam Johnson, who coincidentally many years later, helped inspire this podcast. Thank you, Adam. And my dear buddy Adam had, and still has, this gorgeous older sister. And at the time, we were so fascinated with her, especially because she wouldn't give us the time of day because she was two years older. But we were like, 
Adam, what kind of concerts does she go to? And uh, <laughs> I remember him specifically saying, you know, I'm not sure, but I know that she saw Toto the other day at the Oakland Coliseum. It's like, Toto? Toto, but not Rush or the Scorpions with us? So that was a good little friendly jealousy of my man, Steve Lukather and the guys for getting Adam's sister to go to the Toto concert. So there I am. I know Rosanna. I have different guitar teachers. I have this teacher named Doug Doppler, friend of mine to this day. And Doug's like, oh, you don't know Lukather? I mean, he is amazing. You got to listen to the end of Rosanna. Get the album version and listen to the jam at the end. And so I did. And this is what I heard. This amazing, totally improvised section at the end of Rosanna. Just a fan for life from that moment forward. Just the way Steve could play pop and then bust into that. Just so versatile. And of course, then he started following me around. What I mean by that is I started checking out the liner notes on cool songs, like say Don Henley's Dirty Laundry, which we'll get into later. Find out he played the second solo on that song or the tubes, all this kind of stuff. Thriller, he's all over so many albums that I didn't even know when I was a kid listening to the radio. And anyone who respects the art of playing guitar in a recording session, you gotta respect Lukather. Man. Plus, I just love the guy. He's funny. It's all hell. And you know what? When I started this podcast, he was a big inspiration. And so I'm glad that I finally have one of the main inspirations for this show on the show today. Luke Daddy. Proud to go up to his house again, this time with four microphones. I mean, we're just playing through little practice amps, but... It's cool. You know, you get the vibe. And Steve Lukather, man, they're just killing it. I just saw them at the Greek Theater a couple months ago. Headlining. Phenomenal sold-out show here in L.A. They take it to the moon and back on their solos. I love it. They play the, they get the crowd singing all these songs. It's a great mix of, like, hit songs and epic solos. I recommend Toto Concert anytime you possibly can. I also saw Luke at in Vegas and he was playing one of those gigs with Ringo Starr. You know, he's been Ringo Starr's lead guitarist. I mean, this guy's played with three of the four Beatles. That's crazy. But he also has this great friendship with Ringo now that he's been in his band for five years. It's called Ringo's All-Star Band, I believe. And that was so cool. Went to Soundcheck, met some of the great players in the band, such as Greg Raleigh, Santana fame, Todd Rundgren. Like, this is truly an all-star band. And, uh, of course, man, Ringo shows up and... I didn't know if we get to meet him, but next thing you know, Luke introduces us. We're chatting with Ringo for a bit. It was just hilarious, man. And uh, Luke is also on the cover of the new Guitar Player magazine coming out any day. And I appreciate that. I really enjoyed doing that interview. This is the interview. There were a couple other interviews as well, like when we were driving around LA in his Tesla at insane speeds. What a great car. What an insane driver. But there are multiple interviews that went into that cover story, but most of that cover story came from this interview you're about to hear right here on this podcast. Luke Daddy, man, he's also got this book coming out, his autobiography. It's called The Gospel According to Luke. This is a must read for any fan of music and guitar. It was co-written by Paul Rees, great, great writer. 
So before we fire up the chopper, I just want to say I had the best time on the Moody Blues Cruise. Met some incredible guitar players on that boat, including Doug Jackson from Ambrosia. They were playing. Justin Pico from the um, Young Dubliners. Man, they put on such a great set. It was so much fun. So many fantastic guitar players and performers on the boat for five days cruising around the Caribbean. Just a total adventure. Uh, Parthenon Huxley, Hux to his friends from the orchestra. They do all ELO. They're all ELO veterans, electric light orchestra veterans. So cool. Mike Dawes, I think he plays with the Moody Blues or one of the guys, Justin from the Moody Blues. The amazing Ben Woods and Luis Viegas from Heavy Mellow. Jeff Coleman and Dan Tracy with Alan Parsons. Great hanging out with them. Of course, you remember Jeff Coleman from episode 50. That was a really great episode of this podcast. Jeff is just a beast. Shout out to my friend Jeff Marshall, too, who also did Alan Parsons for a tour, filling in for Jeff Coleman and Jeff Pivar, for that matter. (laughs) Alan Parsons only uses Jeff's, apparently. But anyway, I digress. It was a great boat ride. We got more Jefferson Starship shows coming up. I'm also playing at the Soundcheck Live Bash at the Yoast Theater on the 24th of January, the day before NAM show here in LA, and then doing all Jefferson Starship shows during NAM. If anyone's around, you want to come say hi. Anyway, I'm digressing. I'm all over the place. Be sure to go to guitarplayer.com slash contest slash Luke. That's guitarplayer.com slash contest slash Luke. Enter to win some E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones from Audio-Technica. These things are pro level. I think it's mostly for U.S. residents, but thank you for your interest in that. Let's fire up the Jolly Guitar Copter, head up into the hills of Los Angeles. My name again is Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. We're going to catch up with Lukather. I'm still setting up the mics when I turn on the recorder because I just like to hear him just kind of warming up, just hearing his fingers on the strings. I hope you enjoy some of that. That's what we'll start with. And of course, we're going to talk about everything with him as well and listen to new tracks and old tracks. And... He's going to talk to you about being like manager guy for the band. And we'll get into all the sessions and all that stuff. And we'll figure out why it is that Steve Lukather is still due to run naked down Hollywood Boulevard. By the way, there are some F-bombs in this episode, etc. When I started this podcast, I realized that I was going to have to have an explicit warning here and there because I knew that my buddy Luke is going to be on the show. He talks the way a lot of musicians talk with the occasional colorful language. Hope it doesn't bother you. Doesn't bother me. Let's do it. We're both playing these new Music Man HSS Cutlass guitars. I love mine. I've been playing it since June of this year. It's rarely left my hands on the gig. It's such a balanced guitar with a humbucker to the two single coils. And uh, he's got a brand new one that just came out of the box that they had sent him. That's what we're playing. Same color even. Cool guitar. Actually, Justin Pico from the Young Dubliners on the boat, he was playing one too. So I hope this guitar does well for... Ernie Ball, Music Man. All right, enough yapping. Let's go. Thanks for listening. No guitar is safe.
got the same guitar, man. We gotta send this to Brian Ball, man. We gotta take a picture of this. I have to be manager guy. Like I had to be manager guy right there, and now and then I have to be Sony conference call. More manager guy because we got a new record coming, and I'm doing touring shit. You want to do the Budokan this day? And I said I don't want to do it on a Sunday. And they said no, it's a holiday. Monday's off. I go okay. Well, that's different then, you know. Because if we go Friday, Saturday, we sell it out every time. And it's, you know, and that's a big deal. We just I found out we just sold a thousand more tickets in the arena in Amsterdam. Which is now sixteen thousand people, eight months in advance. Dude, I almost Albert Hall is sold out. We don't have any product out yet. We haven't done anything. Amazing. I don't know what's happening with us. Will the album be out then? Yeah, the album comes out early February. Fantastic. Parts of it. We're doing a, a best of, which is called Forty Trips Around the Sun, and it has three new tracks on it, which are the the, the more the Zep kind of tune, uh, and then we're doing Alone. And then we're doing Spanish Sea, which is a typical Brian Wilson meets Toto kind of thing, you know? Very simple. And I did the solo in 1982, and Dave goes, just play the melody. I so, mean, it was, it's the simplest thing I've ever played in my life, you know? It's not flashy, you know. I didn't play anything flashy really on the record. I've hurt myself. I can't, you know, be Mr. Fast Guy anymore. It's changed the way I play, and not that I ever was anyway. There's a billion guys that have that, dude. And I'm rechanged my whole thinking about playing guitar. And it's also liberating to be 60 years old and not be in the competition anymore. You have no idea what a drag it is. And how useless the energy is to sit around and worry about like where you where you are in the standing of a group of musicians that are all want the same thing to be really good musicians. There's no best anything. Nobody has the best looking wife. Nobody has the best. Nobody's the best guitar player. Nobody's the best drummer. Nobody's the best singer. Did it's you- all what moves you, man. It's well, all what touches you. Where's the line between that where you're playing because you love music so much? Because the only one who would ever choose a career in music is someone who loves it so much that they can't do it for any other reason. And well, then versus the competition business Well, that comes factor. later. See, it's like fame. People, oh, I want to be famous. No, you don't want to be famous. You don't even... It is the scariest, weirdest, most bizarre thing in the world. Even to have low-level fame like I do, I have friends of mine that are movie stars that have TMZ parks outside of their house and shit like that, and they have, you know, their kids are being tailed and stuff. I mean, that's famous, okay, guys. That has nothing to do with money. That's famous. That means you have no privacy and you can't put your hand up and go, okay, that's it, I'm done. Uh, uh-uh. once you open that door, it's there forever until they don't give a shit about you and they're on to the next guy. Now. I never wanted to be fame. Was had nothing to do with me playing music. What had something to do with me playing music was the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right in the middle of finishing my book, which is called "The Gospel According to Luke," which is Can't hilarious. Um, and it's all about my life, and it answers a lot of these questions in it. I mean, and some of it is going to be so out that people won't believe it. But I swear to God, to you on all four of my children, that is the truth. Everything I'm saying it is the truth. Or at least the truth as I saw it. Dude, you have no need to make up stories. When I don't need to make up stories. I'm, no, I'm not Tommy Denander. I don't make up stories. <laughs> uh, no, there are people that, you know, but with fame comes hatred. See, people think yeah. they only see the good part. When they, our job, you're a touring musician. 
Yeah. A lot of guys who do interviews and who uh, 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 they've never been on the road. They don't know what it is to not. No, we stopped serving breakfast an hour ago. The kitchen's closed until this, or you get home starving. And you, no, there's no room service. No, you know, there's nothing. You know, a fucking you know Snickers bar costs forty dollars and shit like that. You know, it's like you know they they don't know. You know, when you call up your kid on the phone and go, Daddy, when are you coming home? And I go, six weeks, baby. I might as well say six years. Right. Six weeks to a little kid might as well be six years. And then this is before, now I can see their faces on the FaceTime, which is, I have two sets of kids. I have older kids, Tina, 32, Trevor, 30, and then I have uh, Lily, 10, and Bodie, who is six. And Bodie's autistic, so he, he takes a little bit more work. He's fine. He's doing great. He's not, he's not. People have so much to learn about autism. Right, That's, right. There's nothing sick about him. Thank God. He's mm -hmm. physically unbelievably healthy and unbelievably yep. athletic, which is odd for an autistic child. And, you know, I've learned a lot having a kids in my 50s. I never saw this coming. Just like life. You don't see what life is coming at you. And musically, you don't see what's coming at you either. Now, as Session Man, I, I, was with, I, I went out to dinner the other night with Jay Graydon, Lee Rittenauer and me. Just the three of us guys. The crew. And a little teeny fucking... Uh, you can edit out the fucks. I don't want to sound like a moron. No, uh, the, you can totally... You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't in my book, talking. but I mean, you know, I just is the way I talk. I'm not I trying know, to be cool. I'm not trying to be obscene. It just slips out. It's like, a, instead of going, uh, uh, I say fuck, okay? Sorry, oh, that's... Please the, be yourself. Anyway, the point is the three of us are out there. And we've been friends for 40 years plus. Jay Graydon, those two guys had so much to do with helping me start my career. I was on my very first real record date that I didn't know anybody on. That's when I met Lee Sklar and Mike Baird, and, and that's how I met Lee Rittenauer. I mean, I had met Lee, but I like this is the first time we'd ever worked. Greg Lees was on the date. It was one of his first dates, too. It yeah. was on a very a record that didn't do anything, but I was so honored to be there and to be one of the cats. And you, you were know? like 11 years old? No, I was, I was 19 <laughs> years old. But, you know, there was Leland Sklar. I'm going, oh, my God, this is the guy from the section whose records, you know. This is, I'm sitting in, this is Lee Rittenauer. This is like, I'm in a room with guys that, like, I've read the names, you know. I had to yeah. bring it. I was like, third. there was three guitar players on the day. There was Rittenauer on lead, me on second guitar, and Greg was on pedal steel, acoustic, and mandolin. You know, the, the unbelievable multi-instrumentalist that he is. He was young and shy. I was young, and I was not shy. But mm. I, at the same time, I might have been trying too hard to be too funny or whatever. And Mike Baird started making fun of me. But, you know, my anyway, I was real nervous. I didn't fuck all that shit. That's irrelevant to the story. The point is, that was the first time I met Ritt. And he was on his way to becoming an artist. See, the way it works in the old days is uh, your life as a studio musician. If you get in, it's a hard club to get in. I don't know how I got in. I'm lucky, son of a bitch, whatever. Um geographically placed right whatever the deal happened to be you know and you know it's it's luck to get in the door it's not luck to get asked back you know right that's the deal so i knew i had to bring it and i you know you study and you wait for the moment you know and the yeah. moments are not always great you know i tell mm -hmm. the story in my book about my audition with frank zappa which really went south and and then i come to find out from steve Vai that i was the sacrificial lamb to get rid of everybody else because <laughs> there was 150 guitar players sitting there for one position. So you were the first. If you want to audition 150 guitar players, we made it 
my audition impossible. So you were the first guy? I was the first guy. What did he do to you? He tortured me. No, no I, it's, in, it's in the book. I, I go into massive detail. I don't want to relive it because it was very painful. It was very embarrassing to me. And it was really scary because he was not nice to me at all. And you were just like 17? I was 17. And I thought, that's it. My career's over. I'm not good enough. I was going to burn my shit. You know, I'll never make it. Ever. I'm, you know, I, I tried not to cry. You know, I mean, I was like trying. It was just humiliating. And I said, fuck it. I'm going to fucking take that energy. I'm going to turn it into a positive. I'm going to prove him wrong. I am going to make it. I'm going to be somebody. And someday he'll know that. So what did you do after that? Well, I went home and practiced my ass off. And I What did you was, practice that night? I, I just played. I was just mad. You know, when you, yeah. when you ever get to Harper and knows what you play like when you play mad. Yeah. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes I'll be so pissed off, I'll walk on stage, I'll get some bad news about a business deal gone wrong or somebody fucked this up or we didn't get this or we got ripped off for that or whatever or I'm in pain, my shoulder's killing me because it's a terminal illness. I'll never get better from it. Well, it's a lifelong injury. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I know I tore all the muscles from the top of the very point of my shoulder all the way down. Dude, that's a football injury. The very man. fact that I didn't take out my forearm and my... Uh, what do you call this? My the one from the shoulder to the the pec, the pectoral muscles, and the top m bottom muscles are the only reason why I can play the guitar. Someone's watching over you, man. So I, what it, happened? You were on no, the bus. I can't pick up a coffee cup with my left hand. I have no strength, none. I can't. It's tough for me to hold my iPhone up to tits level. I have no strength, but the very fact that I can move around, the very fact that I can play at all, even though that was a bunch of shit. It has caused me to change the way I play to where to where I'm trying to play weirder notes and be a little bit different in phrasing and say a little bit more without and playing a little bit less. Yeah, you're making different choices. Much, so my chops are shit, but you play Dude. a C minor scale against an A minor scale. Yeah. That's a C minor scale against an A minor, and you come up with all different kinds of ideas instead of playing just the notes. You I'm not sure about the tuning. With a guy like you, for me, it's like, you know, sure, I'm a journalist guy. That's how I first met you. Yeah, but, but like, you hear so many great guitar players. out of all the I... guys, like, you are, like, you know, it's like, I, I got to walk the line between journalist and total fucking fanboy and friend. Well, you're my friend first. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't invite everybody up to my house. I mean, I really don't. I just, I, I, this is my sanctuary. I'm <sighs> building, I'm starting the fence and the whole new driveway, all new front of the house. I can't. People are coming up to the house now, knocking on the door and shit like that. I used to live in a private little cul-de-sac up in the hills. Nobody knew where I lived. And now my son was like freaked out. There were people knocking on the door and stopping and taking pictures. And he goes, Dad, I'm moving out of here now. And my son is autistic and he can get out. And that would be very bad. Plug me back in and see if I'm even close. It's a brand new guitar. Still has the factory strings on it, you Man, you, know, you play like, so beautifully. Like, like people like this last tour that I did, I always do a song, 
you know, most people do a guitar spot. Right. And they just go out and they just play a bunch of crazy shit or you know, they have play whatever they want to play. I like to do a spot within the context of a song. I did Bridge of Size one year, Red House this year because I did it on the tw- on the DVD. It wasn't for not. I mean, and Bonamassa gave me a bunch of shit. He goes, don't ever play that song. That's the most overplayed blues song in the world. <laughs> and I go, yeah, but this one has a purpose of it. It was the last tour we did with Jeff and Mike. And, you know, I hadn't played it in 25 years. And I played it this tour, and it got a great reaction. I'm not Mr. Bluesman. Yeah, I saw that's, you where, that. that's where people can't figure me out. I'm not metal. I'm not jazz. I'm not country. I'm not funk, per se. And I'm not a bluesman, but I do all of it. I think that's I why. Do it, I do it all in my own weird little way. You know what I mean? I, I, and I steal from everybody. I take a little from Jeff Beck, a little from Jay Graydon, a little from Larry Carlton, a little from Ritt, a little from Dean Parks, a little from this, a little from Landau and I grew up at the same time. We've been friends since we were 12 years old. I love him to death. He's one of my favorite musicians in the entire planet. I mean, I have a picture of him just at the Greek Theater the other night. Yeah. And I'm standing there looking at him, and I go, when do we turn... I've known you since we were little prepubescent kids. When do we turn into old guys? <laughs> but, you know, everybody that I grew up with did well. You know you only feel like you're like 24, you guys. Oh, inside of myself, I'm still 16 <laughs> years old. I mean, I still do practical jokes. I still am the silliest man alive. The way I view life is not the way anybody else normally would do. Yeah. I, uh, I do crazy shit. Crazy shit makes me funny. I teach my, my children poop jokes. <laughs> right out of the mouth. I knew my son, my six-year-old autistic son was mine when I got him to, to say poop and smile. You know what I mean? <laughs> Chip out and, the old and, block. And he was witnessed by my older son, Trev, and my younger daughter, Lily, who thought it was just hilarious. And, he, and she goes, yep, he's a Lucather. And I howled yeah. laughing. And I don't really know if he knows what it is or anything like that, but he thought it was really funny that he made everybody laugh. And that's the thing about autistic people is that, you know, I mean, I got so many more things that... My whole family's filled up with people that are messed up. My daughter has a very special needs child. My my nephew, Luke, ironically, he has seizures every day. He goes through all kinds of really horrible things. And my whole family is far from perfect. Life ain't easy, You know, man. I don't even know. No, my you know, my sister's had a really hard life. And, you know, she never gets a break. And, and you know, and I, I, I've had a weird life. People think this life is like, oh, I wish I was that. I wish I was. It's like, and I wish that I was too when I was a young kid. You know, and then you get to get the dream. You're the one. I tried to do the math in my. I actually didn't try to do the math. I said the math is too insane to even try. What are the odds? I mean, I started out because I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, like every other person my age. What song did you, was it like? Well, the one that got me was I saw her standing there. But I mean, the first thing I ever heard him play was like Aliens that Landed from the Planet Venus, and I was yeah. witnessing. Now, <laughs> by today's standards, it looks rather tame. There were a bunch of guys wearing suits that don't what, really yeah. have long hair at all. You know what but I mean? Put us in that moment. Why? I mean, I've had interviewed so many guitar players, and that was the I moment. I don't know, man. What you know, was the, it? The best way I explained it, and I explained it in my book this way, is that life, like the movie The Wizard of Oz, life went from black and white to color at that very moment. There was something about the way it sounded. It was like unlike anything I'd ever heard before. You know, that's why people now don't understand it. They have a jaded view of what the Beatles are. They have a jaded view of what everything is. Because everything's been played. Some people. Every fucking lick has been played. It's to the point now where, you know, these kids learn all the tricks off the internet, but they can't play in time or play in a groove because they never learned how to play rhythm guitar. Like, that's not important. 
That is the most important thing you can learn how to play if you want to be a professional musician, is to be a great rhythm guitar player. To have great time, come up with great ideas, stay out of the way, and have great sound, and have a great touch, and, and, a, and a, a, you know, just the way you play, it fits in with everybody, man. You find the groove, and you find something that works, and you stay on it. And you, and you make that work, and you make that part of the thing, and that, and that makes everybody sound better. If you're just in it for yourself, like, hey, dig me, dig my chops, dig all that shit, you might as well just sit on the edge of your bed and enjoy the rest of your life, enjoying playing the guitar, but not having a realistic viewpoint that you're going to be a professional musician. Because right. it's really hard. There's not a lot of gigs for guys that do it, the best guys that do it. Yep. And we all know who they are. And they're all friends of mine. You know, I look at some of the, the obvious guys like Satch and like Vi and like Petrucci and like uh, uh, Guthrie and, and, I, and, I, and, and all of the guys like that. And then a lot of the new guys that are out there. I look at a guy like Nuno Benicourt who doesn't get enough love. Right. Brilliant. Totally. Have, you know, flawless, perfect chops. And I, I just go, wow, you know, and I, I, what am I doing in here? You know, I mean, I, I'm the furthest Shut thing from up. all that, you know. <laughs> So, let me play a little rhythm guitar for you, man. Just like, get, let me, what, what do you want to play? A little Red House? Sing me some Red House, dude. What key is it in? Dude, B, I, my voice is fucked up. I, I, all the better. Well, no, but I, I mean, I went to the doctor yesterday. I have to cool it. shit i'm just it's you know the thing is that the blues is very interesting because i mean everybody plays the same licks now they like they, they do a stevie ray vaughn impression but the stuff that you put you know way, i'm just like, trying to not do it to say i'm not afraid of thirds and sevens and stuff try to find more interesting ways to do it instead of just uh -huh. <laughs> or 
or the same old yeah, stuff dude. that everybody okay. plays. You know, even though it's it's still great shit. But if you're not doing it any different, why are you and, and these traditional guys that are like militants about it? Like if your strings like if you don't have a wound E string and you're not playing through a Dumble amp and you're not playing Stevie Ray Vaughan licks, then you're not really a blues player. Or if you're or if you're wealthy. I like what you do with the blues. Like what's that song Creep Motel? Oh yeah, oh that's yeah. It's a- Great lyrics, too. Beautiful tune. Yeah, well, the creep. It, 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 it's about someone. It's about someone who you know would waste their time on the computer, you know, hating on people. You know, the people, you know, like these fuck yous that you get from people. Like, you know, oh yeah, people like the joys of fame. I mean, I don't care who you are, you get them. Everybody gets it. It's so they're so bad that they're funny. But there comes a point where you go, you know, I don't need to hear any cocaine jokes about Jeff Picaro. That's not how he died. I'm tired of hearing it. I mean, somebody actually has to set up, like on, on YouTube especially, they have to set up a fake channel with a fake name to tell you that you suck or you're a cunt. Or you're, I mean, something really awful, something like really just... And, you know, I don't look anymore. I stopped looking at message boards and all that shit a while ago. I said this year, I've had it with this shit. I mean, I might as well sit around and cut myself and bleed out and, and, and just read the... I mean, yeah, most yeah. people are nice. Now, if I hated something, I wouldn't write it. I just would avoid it. Right. That would be. The, I was raised po- uh, to be a polite person. Well, you're an interesting blend of like alpha and also a sensitive cat too. I'm a very sensitive person. People don't realize that, and some of it is covered up with humor or whatever. I mean, this is an intense business to be in. It can really eat you up, and the competitive edge and and all that, which I'm so glad at 60 years old I can let go of it. I'm, I'm not I'm, trying. I, I don't that, have I'm, to try to prove to anybody that I'm this or I'm that. There's a million guitar players better than me, I and I'm as impressed by them as anyone else. But I figured, well, at yeah. this point of the game, after my accident, which really fucked me up badly. Now tell us what happened. Well, I was, it was a tour bus accident, and we were coming into a small town in uh, in Europe, and some smart car pulled in front of the t- double decker tour bus, and I, just as I was walking down the stairs from the upstairs spiral and i went flying and i for my very life i hung on with my left arm and all my body weight and all the muscles got all twisted up and i had to do five and a half more weeks on the road like oh that my God. and sleep in the little coffin that you get and i mean even as nice as the tour bus is you're still sleeping in the moving coffin i don't care what you say uh, unless you have one by yourself and we don't have that uh right and so it, you know and i had to play every night it was and and, and, and i fucked it up so bad they can never be fixed because if they go in there and poke around, they said, oh, sure, we can replace the shoulder. We can do this. We can, that. can I play again? Well, probably. Yeah, and I'm going, well, probably he's not going to help my nine dependents. That's right. N-I-N-E. Nine. <laughs> Plus, you know, 51. The government takes half my money. Then I have, you know, yeah. 
I have to take care of nine people. I have people in my family that are sick and fucked up and don't have any money, and I take care of them. And I have to take care of my, you know, my ex. I have child support payments until I'm 71. I have uh, big ones. And, 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 and that's fine with me because I don't want anything from me. I got a little house in the hills. I got a car. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I got guitars. I can go make a living. I'm, I'm happier. I don't have a relationship. I'm not with anybody. I, my kids get all my free time. I play the guitar. I manage the band now, which takes a lot of time. Because we've been screwed over by so many people before. All the no's became yeses and our career's never been better. So that's good on one hand. I mean, I don't do it all by myself. I have a great staff. You know, Steve Karras and Keith Hagen are like my right-hand people, as well as Trish, my my, my girl at the accounting. And, you know, I have people in the, in the gang at WME. That's my staff. I mean, so as we work together to make this happen, I save the band a lot of money. It gets done right because I'm the only client. I mean, they're my only client. Yeah, right. I don't know how you can manage a band and have 20 acts. It you is can't amazing that to do one well. Yeah, they're taking hard. 15% of 20 acts, but they're... Well, and, and I found out a lot of them just pick up the age and go book a tour and they put their hand out for the money. That's yeah. when I said, okay, enough yeah. of this shit. What have you done for me and my career? If you've done nothing, then there's no use for you at all. And then I found out classic rock bands don't need a manager. They need a good accountant. They need good production manager, tour manager, and accounting. And a staff to help, and that's exactly what we have. And we've never done better, and all and everything that we were told couldn't happen is now happening. You know such, why? Because I don't take no for an answer. Such as, I have a vested interest in this. One last go around. How many bands get a second chance at sixty years old? No one. We're not like anybody. Second you chance. Know? Well, you guys have always been around. I mean, I, know I mean, we've always been around. But I'm just saying, in America, our, our own home place, we've always done well around the world. Thank God, that's kept me alive. It kept us all alive. All of our families is, is, is Europe and, J and Japan, particularly those two places. Yeah. But but in the U.S. has opened up for us in a huge way in the last few years, and yeah. that's through hard work and and through and through a great agent, and me working directly with him. There's no bullshit. You don't have to call five guys. Just ask me. I, I know what they're going to say. Well, you guys like are playing huge venues now. Not to mention Europe, where you're playing. Well, the Europe is domes, really, Europe has gone crazy. Ninety. Something I saw you for the first time at Slim's, which is a great club, but it's a club in San Francisco. Yeah. Toto, and you played Red House that night. That must did been I? 90s. Really? Yeah. You played. That was a long time ago. I think I did that because Boz was there. Dude, there's a picture of you at 17 playing with Boz Gags. Is that how old you were? 19. 19. 19. And you have. This, I have one in, in there. I'll show you. I saw it on Twitter a couple of years ago. And you just look, you have this look in your face where, you know. I have a picture that I'm going to use for the book. I think uh, the sound check at Red Rocks, the first show I ever did. Stand there with my 335. It's kind of a, <laughs> but I have a smile yeah. on my face like this is, this is my moment. This yeah. is the thing. I, would, I used to have dreams when I was a kid. I'd walk on stage. The lights would be there. The crowd would be there. The gear would be there. It would be huge. Right before the first note, it would, I would wake up. <laughs> and this was like having that dream except i wasn't gonna wake up and it was a magical night for me and it, and it changed everything feel like you had good tone like yeah no everything worked man i mean everything worked i mean i, I played well and boz was kind enough to give me a, a a solo and i got an ovation for it and it was kind of a big deal and 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 everybody was going yeah great show luke you know and and it changed my life, you know, and I, I owe a lot to him. And Well, he is such a funky I, cat, man. I don't know. If it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be us. But at the same time, 
You could say the same thing. There wouldn't be him without us. I mean, he would just be a blues guitar player, uh, you know, shucking it out through the yeah. through the scene. But Paige wrote him a bunch of hits. Then we played on a bunch of hits. We wrote, you know, and, and like, we changed it and then became a, an L.A. sound, if you will. And then we were all working all the time and playing whenever we wanted to play. And, and Boz let that happen. I mean, he sort of nurtured that. Uh, whether on purpose or on accident. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean... He had a killer band. Now, when I first discovered the guitar, I was, you know, I flipped out and was just completely in love with it. And I didn't know that you were on Breakdown Dead Ahead. Yeah. But, I, you know that little part? That was just and a little then, Carlton ripoff, I think. I saw him do that once. And then yeah, was, I'm always stealing from everybody. But on top of it, there was like a... Uh, damn, well, That damn. was an overdub, yeah. And which, uh... Which then, all together, like in my little ten-year-old brain. Oh, you thought I could do it all at the same time? Right? Well, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking, that's the fucking coolest sound ever. Like with that echo on the end of it. I told you. They let me play, man. Back then, when guitar yeah. solos were not shunned, they were welcomed. I was playing yeah. solos on everybody's shit. What was know? that? Was that your '59 burst or some shit? Or on that one, it could have been that or the or, or the or the uh, <laughs> the gold top. I dude, I, I was a Les Paul guy at the time. I'm just such a fan of your shit. Like even like the littlest thing. Like what's that song? Make believe. Oh, make believe. Yeah, we're gonna Where do you? that next tour. Actually, oh, I came up with that part on the spot. See, You're talking about the little. I play. I actually played the third in there, I think. I, I came up with those parts on the spot, on the fly. They said, come up with something for here, but how about this? And that's what I so, got paid for. So you just wrote, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds so cool because of the, the, the echo. Bow, and I doubled it. I did, I did it with the loud and I did it with the clean, so you could really hear both. Were you pushing? Uh, the one I was just at the time, whatever. I think it was uh, probably a Fender, Fender Deluxe doubles, or, and then uh, or, like, or a Marshall. And the other thing was just direct. Uh, it was a Schecter direct into the board. Super clean, super clean. Wow, with the compression, and I just doubled it. So I came up with everything on the spot. The yeah. solo. I mean, we didn't rehearse. We never rehearsed. Right, right. So everything you heard. I mean, I try a couple things. They go, yeah, that one. But, but it would have to be the first one or two things that I came up with. Otherwise, they'd lose interest. So, I, I mean, that's the way it worked for me on every session I ever did. Most yeah. people think session guys just read the dots. Oh, anybody can do that. Uh, yeah. There are guys that can do that, and that's the TV film guys. Now, for record guys, we got a blank sheet of paper and we're expected to fill in the blanks. 
And yeah. which in many cases, we wrote hooky parts that were made the tune or somebody came up with some a great part or a great drum part or a great keyboard lick or a great guitar lick that makes the song. You know, like the, there was like for, you know, uh, uh, that, that, that uh, Mike McDonald song. That was all that was written, right? You know, but I can't. Yeah. Second uh, take, we makes, had to take. You know, makes all the difference. Uh, all that's, I had was a B minor written in front and, of me, and that's that's like a funk part. Yeah, that's a funk part. Same thing with the. You know, What's the name of that song? Uh, I keep forgetting. Oh yeah, yeah. Michael a, McDonald. Yeah, I didn't know you were. And the other thing was I human nature. Human nature. Quincy Jones going, come up with something funky for me, man. Right now, I need something funky. And he's two inches from my face. And that's when I came up with the. Listen yeah. to the part. That's just the D.I. Schechter guitar that I had that yeah, somebody yeah. offered me way too much money for that I got rid of, which I sort of have seller's remorse on. But uh, yeah. that was a long time ago. Uh, but, yeah, you know, all those little dude. parts that, that that were like on We're in This Love Together for Giroux yeah. or for uh, on the Michael Jackson McCartney tune. Uh, the, the Girl Is Mine. Uh, on Just Once for Quincy. Yeah. You know, those none of those parts were written for me. Right, right. I came up with those parts on the spot. We didn't get demos. We didn't get any idea what we were going to play that day. We got a chord, like a lead sheet that had the lyrics and the chords and, you know, there, maybe some, a piano part or something on it. Very few times did I have to, I mean, I could read a few things. Yeah. I'm, I'm a terrible reader. I can read, but I'm, I'm a terrible reader by comparison by guys who do it by trade. My ear has gotten me through a lot of tough jams. Well, you're you're you were following me around when I was like starting to like look at liner notes. I was like, one day I was like, you know what? The tubes can blaze on guitar. No, I love the tubes. I've come to see them, and well, I wrote both their songs. I know. And then what yeah. I was. was written before Eddie's song, by I the way. I know. I was about to say, that sounds just like, catch, catch, catch. You know, well, that's a sketch or whatever that is. Also, this lick. Yeah. That was on our third album, that which sounds... is before. Sorry, wait, 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 wait. What's the name of that song that sounds like Summer Nights? Uh, it's uh, I Think I Could Stand You Forever. Or Summer 19... Nights Sounds 19... Like It. <laughs> well, it was recorded in 1981. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... It was written and recorded then, as was... Yeah, the... That was 1980. I asked you about those things once, and you had the best answer. You're like, man, it's all just a blues. It's matter. all just a blues, and it's all everybody's for the taking. I didn't steal it. He didn't steal it. It just happened yeah. we happened to think from the same yeah, gene yeah. pool. Anyway, I, wait, I would never say, oh, he stole that, or I stole that from no. him. It's like, is, he's your you bro, too. He's, he's my bro. Are... He's my bro. 
You guys are. He did his own life. version. I have a song called "Twist the Knife" that was one of his songs that I did that he re-recorded with his band on three, I think. And I never said anything about it. I mean, that was his. This his music. I wrote the words and came up. I would yeah. never think to do that to somebody. I thought the way Tom Petty, God rest his soul, and I Jeff know. Lynn handled the thing with Sam Smith was real classy. They said, hey, man, you know, it happens, but, you know, it's only right that you cut us in for a little. Same thing happened yeah. to George Harrison by accident. My Sweet Lord was a little bit like a, an old Ronette song or something like that. We all, I've written things that I swore yeah. I wrote myself, and I, and I find out I oh, didn't. Yeah, you never tried it. I mean, it. you know, it's, it's like they, they say that Nikolai Tesla, and, you know, like he could, you know, people from around the world came up with the idea at the same time. But there's no way they could possibly know. There's only someone, maybe it's an Akashic record thing. I mean, I don't know. That's I would certainly never. I think everything's been written and recorded thousands of years ago. We're all just rehashing the same shit. Yeah, I mean, how many blues songs are there? Are you going to sue every blues guy because it's the same chords? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, neither song sounds the same, but has the same chords. Right. That's, I, that's, all I, I that's all I have to say about it. But, you know, so, yeah, the tubes, I'm hearing that, and I'm going, these guys are blazing. You know, the ending solo and stuff. And then, like, within the same week, you know, I'm like, there's Don Henley's record. I always wondered who played the second guitar solo on that, Dirty Laundry. And this record is three bucks. I'm buying it right now. I'm reading the, then I'm reading the liner notes. And it's you again. You're, like, following me around. Tell me about the solo on Dirty Laundry. I just did that real fast. That was a uh, we, we recorded a song called "You Better Hang Up" for uh, Don's first solo album, and uh, they had a track with a drum machine, I believe, that Danny Korchmar, Cooch, my brother, who I love, he was producing the record with Dan, uh, Greg Ladani, rest his soul. And Don was having the time of his life. I mean, we had a great time. I was really nervous. I heard Don was, you know, could be very a taskmaster. You know what I mean? He could. He was having a ball. It was really easy. There was double drums with Jeff. Then we had this track. We got the track. It was great. We did a few overdubs. And, and then Kush goes, play them dirty laundry. Because I think they were really proud of the track and the lyric. And the lyric is genius. Uh, it's a great track. And, great and they track. wanted Jeff to play drums, live drums on it. So Jeff went out and did a take in one pass. And it was done. It was great. And then Kush looked at me and goes, you want to do the solo at the end? Walsh was going to do the one in the middle. And I about died because Joe Walsh is a hero of mine. And um, he's a friend too, but I mean, at the, at the time, you know, I had never met him, and, and I was just like Henley Walsh, Cooch, <laughs> everybody at the same. I was I was kind of quietly starstruck inside, and I said I'd love to. And everybody was in the control room. We were partying, we were having a great time, 
and I played the solo uh, in one pass. You know, I think I made me made one mistake and punched it in, but but I mean that was all one pass, and I was so thrilled to be on the same yeah. record with Don Henley and Joe Walsh that I lost my mind with Cooch and Ladani. I, mean, I, I was my career was like just starting. This was 1980, so. It, this is really I was starting to reach the point where I realized wow I'm really like playing with the big boys here and I was kind of yeah. tripped out on it I was very honored to be there that was incredible a uh, really vicious tone too like well I had a whole room full of people staring me down all you know and I figured and Jeff was looking at me like you better bring it asshole <laughs> Jeff would always bring the best shit out of me uh, I mean great. he would always you know get the best out of me and I miss him terribly man you know and so, David does that and uh, all the guys we all encourage each other i mean wow. here we are 40 years later who would have thought you guys push each other so well like at the the greek theater the other night you guys well, thank you very much for the tickets oh no, no my, my, i'm glad you got to see that and see oh, what that was all, see beautiful. what the band's all about you know i mean yeah i mean it's just you take it to the moon and back david page solo to the moon and back so, david's solos. playing so well lenny castro's percussion so i mean it's you can't see this kind of thing anywhere else where you have somebody explained it like coming to see us play is like people are bringing their kids now they're going like see those guys up there they play it on all these records you'll never see them again like we're some weird anomaly you know what i mean but i mean that the fact that you take it out like badass jazz musicians or fusion musicians but you also have all these platinum hit songs at the same time like that's a rare combination to see both in one set yeah well most people don't there's, there's no studio band that sold 40 million records you know um unbelievable and a lot yeah. of people hate us for it so they treat us like there's no other band like us that's played on thousands of albums 225 grammy nominations or whatever i'm not going to name my stats it doesn't fucking matter but they just ignore us like we didn't exist the guy who co-wrote my book with me paul reese told me the guy's yeah, he was the editor at Q Magazine. The UK said that he wasn't allowed to write about us, use our names. Like, you know, Thriller is really the, the the biggest example, the biggest record in history, which we had a big part of, and that nobody ever acknowledges. Now, I'm not saying this is poor, pitiful me, because that would be ridiculous. I've had an incredible career. If I died today, I'd be fine. Uh, I don't wish for an award. I don't wish for something I don't have. I just would wish that somebody would take it a little bit more seriously rather than just the day, that joke Africa band because that's not that's what some people think we are and that was the weirdest tune we ever cut in our whole lives I said I'd run naked down Hollywood Boulevard midday if that song was ever a hit I'm glad nobody's taken me up on that. That would be... Yeah, the oh, sparks man, you see flying wouldn't be from the back end of a car. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> you nut, man. I mean, I just think, you know, I, you know what it is? Did All you guys co-write that song? No, that's David. Dave, it's actually David Page's song, and he gave... Jeff helped him with the lyrics and the drum drum loop. And so he gave him half the song as he, you know, as his, to his brother, his muse. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Picard was David Page's muse, you know, and there's no doubt about it that everything changed when Jeff passed. I mean, the, it's it's the reason that keeps us together. It's the thing that keeps us together is because we've only those of us, like the four of us that are the main guys, or whatever. I mean, I think it takes all of us to do it, but 
We've been there. We were there. We saw it all happen. We went through death, yeah. divorce, drugs, childbirth, failure, success, failure, success, up, you know, running up a glass hill barefoot with butter on your feet for 40 years. That's what it feels like. I'm tired. I, I don't, I'm tired of explaining myself. I'm tired of defending myself. Some people think I've got an attitude because I'm defensive about my band. Well, try taking shit for 40 years and not have a little edge. You know, I don't mean to be that way. You know me. You know me for a long time. I'm, I'm the nicest guy in the world until somebody draws first blood. Then look yeah. the fuck out. I will fucking claw your eyeballs out with my bare hands. But and that's the way I feel about my children. You know, and that's the way most yeah. people feel. Yeah. But, you know, when you put yourself out there like we do, like I have for the last 41 years of my life, there's bound to be punches thrown at you. That's part of the gig. If you don't like my music, that's really okay. But I probably am on more than one of your records in your collection. You probably yeah. just don't know it. But um, the fact of the matter is, it, it just people are cruel. We, we need less cruelty. I, I really felt yeah. good for me to, to be able to apologize to Billy Corgan on the radio in Chicago, his hometown, and say how sorry I was for how misconstrued and rewritten and made me look like an asshole and made it look like I hated him when I don't in fact hate him at all. Okay, he was happens? a very nice guy and he was very cool. You I respect him as a musician. Tell people what happened? <laughs> well, the people, what happened was that, you know, I was happened to be sitting hungover and saw him on TV and I made some crack about his playing to the person I was talking to in 1994 and I said, oh, don't write that. I'm just kidding. I'm just being an asshole. Like, I feel like shit this morning, which they didn't print. And this guy... What did you say? I just said something to the effect that I was better than that when I was a kid, you know, and and it was a shitty thing to say, and I didn't mean it. I was just being a wise ass, as people are wise asses behind, you know, on their own in their own houses, you know. I give my own friends shit, you know what I mean? It's not meant for print, and when when you write it down, it looks bad. Oh, totally. It looked and it hurt his feelings, and 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 I was hurt by it. And then he said some things about me, which I'm like, okay, I, I deserve that. But I was able to, on the air, 20 years later, I was always sending messages, tell, please tell Billy I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that the way it came out. And it was never meant for print. And I, I don't feel that way. And I'm very sorry about it. I would never, I know what it's like to be on the other end of that. Right. It sucks. Why did this guy come after me? I don't know this guy, you know? I mean, that happens to me all the time. Uh, and for me, I that carried that around for 20 years. That's how affected by it I was. It really hurt me that I would hurt him. Totally. He didn't deserve that. He didn't do anything to me. You know, yeah. I mean, I may not be his favorite band, but I respect him as a musician, as an artist. Of course. And he said he was very nice to me and he accepted, graciously accepted the apology on the air in his hometown. So everybody heard me get down and, and ask for his forgiveness because I was wrong. I mean, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. I'm not that guy. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But if they fuck with me first, look out. No. I'm very protected. It's like somebody hurts my family. I will, gun, I will I, I'm all in you know I've been I've been very protective of us and I've tried to keep this thing alive for 40 years when it was almost dead you know? well you just gotta watch out for you know the internet allows for all these voices to come out but they're not representative of necessarily of the masses there are billions of people on the planet and a couple hundred people are gonna talk shit that's not representative of the millions of music fans like who just love you worldwide you know. I don't know. Thank you very much for saying that, but don't lose perspective. That's the tiny little molecules well, in the bottom. It keeps one humble, yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. There's never been a point in my life or my career where I thought I was really great. It's just in case anybody gives a fuck. Everything that I do, I think I can do better. <laughs>
Lady. I love the way you play. I mean, it's just a form of expression. You know how to know? tell a story with the guitar, like, um, like "Song for Jeff." Yeah. So beautiful. Playing, I'm realizing now as I get older playing something pretty like that is what I do best and what I should yeah. do because there's a lot of guys that play an unbelievably ripping guitar that can do that way better than me and I shouldn't get in their arena and just let me do what I want to do I'd rather be more Dave Gilmore than Dude, than you anybody, should just you do know? what you love to do. Play. Well, that's what my next solo record is going to be. It's going to be more of a ever you introspective have the most fun thing. playing. Like on the new record, I held back a little bit. I didn't really like go. Hey, let me impress my guitar player friends. Talking about the new Toto. Yeah. Yeah, that's coming up. Yeah, it's very simple stuff. It's dude, not. It's just I tried not to play the obvious. No, notes. listen to me. Play the shit that you fucking love and you have the most fun playing, and don't play anything else. Just play what you love. I'm trying. I'm just. It's been a really hard time for me. I as I as I get older in life, and I start. And here it's I tough, am, only man. sixty years old. I've lost fifty eight people in two years. Two of my best friends, and now two more of my best friends have ALS and lung cancer. And I'm going. When is my time card coming? I lived a hard life, man. I'm not going to lie to you. It's all in the book, you know. Well, not all of it. God, there's that would be an encyclopedia. <laughs> but what a recovery too! Like, I <laughs> well, mean, I mean, I stopped drinking and smoking and being an asshole and doing illegal shit eight years ago. But I wish I'd have done it, you know, twenty eight years ago. I, I I lost myself in it, you know, and it fucked me up. And I'm not, and, and I don't suggest anybody can do it. And those of us that did it hard stopped. Ask any one of us, and you know who I'm talking about. Those were all my drinking buddies. All one day we all decided separately. But almost at the same time to stop. We didn't have a secret meeting or nothing. We just, oh, did you hear so and so? Did you hear about so and so? Oh no, you're kidding! And these are some of the most outrageous rock and rollers in life. They're my friends, my drinking buddies. We all stopped around the same time. It was stop or die. It wasn't fun anymore. If it's you know when you're in your twenties, do what you want to do, man. Don't get married. Don't do hard drugs, and don't you know? Don't have kids that you don't want. Don't drive yeah. fucked up. You know, do the obvious shit. You know. We got right. an Uber. We live in an Uber world. There's no reason for drunk driving. And then I see the loss of somebody's greatest, Tom Petty. Not he wasn't sick. He just dropped. Right. There was no warning. It's not like he was some abusive character. Not as far as I know. Seemed yeah. to be really nice. And and I met him earlier in the year, and he gave me a hug, and I took that as such a great honor. I met him through Jeff Lynn, and I went to a small yeah. like rehearsal thing at a theater for their tour, and. And yeah. it meant so much to meet him because I've worked with the other guys in the band. And I I think they're all brilliant. You know, Stan Lynch, their old drummer, is a dear friend of mine. You worked with Mott just about but, everybody. Like, but you know, Tom is somebody I always wanted to meet because I admired him as a as a writer, as a songwriter, as a singer. And he was so nice. He he just put his arm around me, kind of pulled me in. Because he goes, "Any great man, we're still getting paid to play the guitar." I think that is the greatest thing. That anybody can say that I get to write, you know, I'm a musician on my tax returns. And I have never been anything else but that. I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had. And and I write in detail about it in my book, you know, but 
And you'll read that soon enough. I'm yeah, that's a right real now. book. You're on a real publisher, boy, the Little Brown yeah. Company. Yeah, it's that's... coming out um, in February. You yeah. know, and it's called The Gospel According to Luke, which is pretty funny. That's um, yeah. I have to write the, the foreword myself so I can write. If you're from my kids, my little kids' school, please don't hold this against me and don't <laughs> let them read this, whatever you do. This is, hey, not, this is not an okay from me. This is just the way it went down for us at living through this age, you know. And I'll write something funny about it, but you know, I don't recommend this life for everybody. And I and I didn't whitewash it. I just I didn't tell everything. I didn't want to hurt anybody. You know, I don't want to ruin people's lives. But I I asked permission to tell a few stories, and I got permission. Some are pretty funny. I lived a crazy yeah. life, and uh, then I look at Ringo, who I adore. Yeah. I mean, he changed my life. Ringo Starr changed my life. How I so? Mean, well, it's just his outlook on life. First off, I mean, once I got past who he was and wow that's Ringo Starr and we became to be real just eyeball to eyeball friends talk on the phone go hang and watch TV and whatever and past any Beatles shit just as a man this is the way he looks at life I mean he's been one of the most famous people in the world for 50 years you're not going to get better advice than that and yeah. I, I love him really if his name was Bill Smith he would be my best friend you know what I mean it's just, he's a wise generous I will kill anyone that says Ringo Starr didn't help the sound of the Beatles. The things that he brought to that table weren't the songs per se, but it was the groove. And if Absolutely. it don't groove, it sucks. So, so you know, to come up with the drum part for Tomorrow Never Knows and stuff like that, and you go, who would come up with that? Most people go, dance, boom, 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 you know. For him to be that creative. You know, and no clicks. He goes, his famous lines like click track, he goes, There were no click tracks, I am the click. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, he was. I mean, huh. I mean, you know, somebody had to keep this shit together, and it was him. But I mean, as far as looking at life and getting older and how to take care of yourself and how to live it and shit, you know, I mean, it's a, he's a wise, wise, beautiful cat, and, you know, he'll have to kill me to get rid of me. <laughs> you know, that's all I can tell you. I mean, he's, yeah, well, he he's, seems he's, to he's, like you because he used to, you know, he, his band is modular where he can move musicians in and out and he's kept well, you around. Know, we hit it off, you know. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, anyway, ask me something. I've been doing all the talking. All right. Who came up with this song? It's a six chord. What's that chord? One, two, three, four. Is that yeah. Who came up with that little thing? It was just Dave's part of the song. Those are the changes, you know. <laughs> it's so funky.
That's Cheryl Lynn singing on that. He was producing that. What you say? Yeah. yeah. Paige wrote that song. He Got wrote to be he, real. <laughs> Page wrote to be real. Got to be real. Yeah, that was all Page. I was there then when they cut that, when they wrote it. I was also there when I watched Jeff do the over overdub the drums to FM too for uh, Walter and Dollar were just sitting there staring at him, and he did yeah. it like one or two takes. It was fucking done. It was brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah dude. And here I am, some nineteen-year-old punk going, "Wow, there's there's Steely Dan," you know. Yeah. Now you said that. Have you been playing the end of Rosanna? The, the <laughs> So we're, when I was a kid, that was one of the first times I heard a rock guitar player throw in something like... Yeah. I just got lucky one time, you know. Where, where did you come up with that sort of throwing in the chromatic stuff? Like some people might say that's a jazz thing, or I don't think chromaticism is jazz, like, and it's wrong for you. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, may have thrown. I am first off. Let me underline this. I am not a jazz guitarist. Yeah. I don't even know what I am. I'm probably more rock yeah. than anything, but that's just a general broad stroke. I listen to a lot of different kind of music, and I have a great deal of respect for everybody in any style of music that throws it down. From bluegrass to death metal to to pop to guys that play oh, yeah. the blues, you know, and in their own way. I mean, there's so many fucking blues guys now. I like somebody who's bringing something a little different to it, and yeah. somebody that can has some songs. You know, I yeah. mean, everybody knows the standards, but I'm saying, you know, there's very few new guys. I'd say up and coming stars. They're not that up and coming anymore. It's like Gary Clark Jr. or Doyle Bramble, you know. Yeah. The second or whatever, you know, people like that that I've just been getting into. Uh, I still think that uh, you know it doesn't get any better than Derek Trucks and and you know and and all you know and how tasty Warren is and all that whole group of guys. And then yeah. I can listen to you know now that Alan's died tragically died you know Alan Holsworth tragically died. There's a couple guys that are carrying the flame there, but you know that's a very limited audience, you know. There's right. not a lot of chicks in the crowd, you know. They didn't really. It, it, Alan didn't write music for. He he was like Coltrane, like he didn't. It was over most people's heads. The average yeah. layman, like my my ex-wife, God love her. I used to have this band with uh, uh, Simon Phillips and and uh, Jeff Babco and who else was in it? Melvin Lee Davis. And we used to do like a little tribute to '70s fusion. And we do Ma Vishnu, Return Forever, and Jeff Beck, uh, stuff that Simon yeah. wrote, and had a couple of other things. And we'd go to, we'd play a couple of gigs. And these were still in my crazy years. And, shit. and my ex would go, like, you know, why does it sound like everybody's playing the wrong notes at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> I 
go, she goes, would you mind if I didn't go? That music makes me really nervous. And I go <laughs> like, and, and she was, and she's a chick that would be a deadhead. And, and I go, I don't get that per se, you know I mean? Yeah. Uh, but everybody says you have to, it's a different whole thing, you know? I come from a different kind of player. That's why when we first came out and we were compared to the Sex Pistols, it was laughable because it's like, why would you, it's like comparing a chocolate shake to a fucking a hot dog. You know, you go, yeah. a chocolate shake, what do they have in common? They taste good together, I guess, if you eat them right. But alone, as a saying, standalone yeah. thing, you they're vastly different. But everybody, some people like only one, some people like both. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of a thing. All music is like that. A lot of people will come say, like, you know, I came to see you. I like to come see you play on your own, but I really don't like your band very much. They're high. Well, no, you know, the thing is, you got to take all these backhanded compliments as they come. Have they really seen Germans your band, are though? the worst? They'll come up to you and go, Your sound is weak and pointless. And I'll be like, <laughs> You know, and I'll go, Wow, well, you know, what are the bad things you got to say to me? You know, what I mean, if you'll say that right to my face without knowing me. I go, well, you know, you were sitting in front of the basement. Well, I sit right in front and the big bass in front. I'm like, well, you know, that's my fault, yes. Everybody in every seat expects it to sound like a record, which is unrealistic, as you well know. Well, however, and I talked about this with Steve Morse, don't you think the subwoofer thing is getting out of control? Like, it's like, if you sit right in front of those things, it's like, it's fucking I think up the that the, I think that the people who mix lead, vocal, kick drum should be fired immediately. It's like guitars and keyboards don't exist. Or they're halfway through the solo, then they'll turn it up. It's like, how many shows have you done, man? You don't yeah. know that by now? You didn't do any homework at all to realize that here it is. If the, and the lighting guy is calling it, why don't you, why you're, are you fucking just staring at somebody's tits? Now, we have a guy <laughs> that's a lot more detail than that. We'll go huh. grab for the little synth part or grab for a drum filler. You know, we, huh. try, we try to do that because, but, but inevitably, somebody will say, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And then the same night, somebody else will say, that's the worst sound I've ever heard. And I go, well, where were you sitting? Well, I was up over in the... I'm going... You know, it does matter where you sit in the room. It does. It does. I mean, people go think the best, you know, the best seat in the house is front row. It's not. It's the worst place. It's like seeing a movie in the front row. You want to sit, like, you know, somewhere within the first three or four aisles, like, above, in front of the sound guy in the middle. Oh, yeah. Those are the best seats. That's what it really sounds like. Now, you're also the, the victim of an echoey building, a badly, yeah. a sports arena or something like that it was never meant to have loud music. It just bounces off the walls. They've come a long way, though. You know, They're getting better. Yeah, like that, you know, the way they laser strobe the room or whatever. Oh, yeah, well, baby. Well they, well, they have a lot of guys now that they, they have the, um, they can walk around the room with an iPad. Yeah, and they can really, really mix the stuff close, yeah. and then they, and they have two different guys. One guy walks around during the show, and they and they more speakers, yeah. and it's, you know, twenty percent louder is not twenty percent better, and a lot of people mix too loud. Well, you guys sounded really great at the Greek, man. It was oh, like thanks. I could hear every every instrument perfectly, and a great guitar tone, super. Well, warm. thank you. I appreciate. It. We tried. It was a little a little hard because sometimes you know, people who go on. Before you think louder is going, it hurts. Yeah. Now, what's it like when you're there and you got Landau, your buddy, and, and Eddie, Eddie and Van Halen, and every other guitar player in LA, is, and every other musician is there watching you guys? I, I didn't think about it. Yeah. You know what I look at? I looked at my 10 year old daughter, seeing her with a pass on and a walkie talkie cracked me right the fuck up, like she's out on the road already. <laughs> and I'm at the point now, I knew that my friends were coming. They, I gave them tickets, you know. 
a lot of other people in the audience who met the musicians I did not know. But, you know, you sort of assume it, you know. But I'm at this certain age, and I'm starting to feel a little bit more relaxed about it because I'm yeah. not in competition anymore. Yeah. And Mike was really great. He's known me his whole life. He said, dude, playing better than ever, man, because I love it when you just do your thing, man. And, and you know, that meant a lot coming yeah. from him because he's known me my whole life. And, you know, Eddie's always a groove, you know. And, like, you know, it felt it was a neat feeling to know that those guys would Eddie called me and said I mean me and Al want to come you know I said of course you know I'd be honored right. and yeah. he came early and stayed late you know he was really great you know yeah. and I adore him and he's one of my you know we've been friends for 40 fucking years all those guys and you know yeah I mean there's a little pressure on there but you know they are yeah. they've already all seen me and we're all old enough friends to where if I was to make a mistake they would laugh with me not at me now when you're playing in a rock band and it's a lot more there's a lot more form you have to yeah. let them pay as little attention to the mistake you just make and get on with life it happens yeah you know what I mean I still care, man. I still order Alfred fucking I'm Lydian chromatic concept of tonal organization, okay? Who wrote Up that? Up there is uh, the, the Slominski book, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I still give a shit. I'll never be Pat Metheny. God, would I love to know what that feels like, to have that kind of command of an instrument. You know, like, I play okay. I mean, I'm, you know, there's a million guys. I do my little thing, and I'm real happy with it. I'm really honored to have found a little teeny piece of plot in this gigantic landscape of music that I could call my own. But there's so many fucking... There's just some guys you just watch play and you go, like, oh, why do I even bother? The idea what I'm really into now is just the, 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 the... It's just trying to find just weirder phrases and weirder jumps of yeah. notes rather than just scale-like, you Let's just jam a little bit, my brother. Something. I'm going to bust out some Herbie Hancock since you mentioned it. Doug, what Luke Ather was talking about regarding rhythm guitar, about finding something that works and then staying on it, being part of the groove. That really goes in a nice parallel with what Mike Scott was talking about back in episode 12 of this podcast. Mike Scott, super funky. Mike Scott plays with Timberlake. He's going to be doing the halftime show on the Super Bowl coming up with Justin Timberlake. Be sure to check out Mike Scott. He is funky. 
And But of course, he's also well known for playing with Prince for many years. And we talked a lot about that and jammed on some Prince grooves on that episode. And he said the same thing. He said that Prince always told him and the band, when you find your part, stay on it. That's what makes it funky. Yeah, interesting parallel there. You know, on one of the breaks in this interview with Steve Luther, me and Luke were in the kitchen, and he was talking about how proud he is of his son, who just got a gold record semi-recently with Hailstorm for co-writing a song. And of course, it's it's funny, because he says, man, a gold record? That's like seeing a fucking unicorn. Luke was saying, like, back in the day, they would almost be embarrassed about a gold record. They'd be like, yeah, man, sorry, the record only went gold. But now, in the era of streaming, gold record is quite an achievement. Congratulations, Trev Lukather, for going gold. Luke also said that he's proud that he really never encouraged his son to become a shredding guitar player, but rather become a great rhythm player, great groover, and great producer, and learn how to write songs and get stuff done. Well done to both father and son on that one. Other cool stuff Luke told me about how Family Guy, I'm a fan of Family Guy, has licensed Rosanna in a solid way, which means they are going to be featuring Toto, animating Toto, and probably making fun of them, which Lukather loves, on some kind of upcoming episode of Family Guy. Look for that. Super cool. Thanks for listening. Be sure to head to guitarplayer.com to check out Guitar Player Magazine and also subscribe to Guitar Player Magazine. It's still amazing. It's great to read print sometimes. Lukather is on the current cover story, hidden mailboxes right now. Check out 40 Trips Around the Sun from Toto. Check out Lukather's new book, The Gospel According to Luke. And be sure to check out Zoom Recorders. That's what I use to record these podcasts. I use the H6. I hope you dug Joe Satriani's second appearance just a couple episodes ago on this podcast. Played a ton of guitar. Man, that was a great hang. Joe listened to the entire episode and wrote me a really nice email. He's like, wow, man, that was really cool. And then he promoted on Twitter. So he even dug it himself. Thank you, Joe, for doing it. And thanks again, of course, to Audio Technica for making this episode with Steve Lukather happen. Been waiting for this one for two and a half years. Audio Technica made it real. Those E-Series in-ear monitoring headphones are for real too. Totally legit. It's the way to go. When you're on stage playing a bat gig or playing in your church, whatever, check out the E-Series. Head to guitarplayer.com slash contest slash loop and enter to possibly win a pair. You can learn more about Audio Technica at audio-technica.com. Back to our friend Joe Satriani. What did he say? Tell it to me. What did he say? Keep it alive to 95.